Clubhouse. I'm an old-fashioned cocksucker. The more traditional kind. The kind who fucks over anyone who hurts me or a loved one. You speak of ugliness, Mr. Conover. You have not yet met ugliness. This is Caroline. And this is Mike. Welcome to Do We Unnerve You? The Undoing Podcast. Tonight we're talking about episode four of The Undoing, See No Evil. It was written by David E. Kelly and directed by Suzanne Beer. Oh, Caroline, Caroline, Caroline. The the <laughs> plot thickens. Doesn't it? Good God. I mean, this is uh this is, you know, the the middle episode, right? Six episode season, so uh I mean I don't even know what to think. There's, I feel like everyone is maybe guilty of something. Maybe everyone, everyone seemed to have a motive. Everyone seemed to have maybe the opportunity. And they like turn the volume up on everybody. Henry seems weirder. Certainly Franklin seems like he is diabolical. Like everybody just went like click, click, click. I have in my notes when Franklin is talking, uh, when he's uh, talking to the headmaster, Robert, the headmaster, he says, uh, you know, he's talking about how he's an old fashioned cocksucker. And he says to him, you have not yet met ugliness. It yes. struck me. I think Franklin may be the scariest person on the show. Those eyebrows alone, you know, already should indicate to us that he is somebody you do not mess with. But that line, oh, listen, the way that he delivers the line cocksucker, by the way, I think we say that really nicely. We're like cocksucker, right? Mm -hmm. But he's like cocksucker. He says it with this thing where you like squeeze your throat like cocksucker. It's so wicked. It's almost like he like has an Irish brogue coming through on it. Yes, you know, he's like one star, one like one shade short of you know. I'll tell you what I think, Timmy McGee. You're an old-fashioned <laughs> cocksucker you are, you know? It's like, very Connery, yeah? Yeah, very. I was really surprised at him. And to be honest with you, the one line that Henry says, and he, he says, I heard you left a footprint on Conifer's head. The way that they look at each other and Henry's like a little like, mm-hmm. He wasn't like, oh, grandfather, please don't embarrass me. He was like, excellent. There was like a shared family. We just squash whoever gets in our way. Much like Sam on the island of OC in uh, the third day, you know, it's in the blood. You know, there's a darkness in them. Henry and Franklin are maybe a little too in cahoots. I mean, there's a whole lot of shit that Henry is being exposed to in this episode and being allowed to do mm. that I, as a parent, find questionable. And I find Franklin and Grace and Jonathan as parenting, making parenting decisions of a very questionable nature. But we'll get there. I want to start today's episode talking about Jonathan. Jonathan had a whole little arc I want to start at the very beginning, and I want, I want you to ask you, for the first time since Grace tells Henry about Jonathan maybe killing the family mm -hmm. pet and his family blaming him for it, we have we hear about Jonathan's family for the first time tonight, Caroline. What did you think of his shady or evasive discussion about 
his family and being estranged from them. Any initial takes on that? That's the first time we're hearing about so it. So I don't personally have a huge issue when people say that they don't really keep up with certain members of their family anymore. You and I are of an age when, you know, enough things have happened for certain people that it's just like, you know what? It just is better for me. I've seen the amount of Facebook posts of like toxic people, let them go. Like that kind of stuff. You know, people are kind of just over it. I don't have an issue with that, but I do have an issue with the way that he was delivering that. And just how you said it, the evasiveness, the awkwardness, the way that he was just like, what does that have to do with anything? Sort of was like not the way I ever hear those people tell that information. They usually just say, well, you know, I didn't like the way they were living their lives. I live my life a different way. We just didn't see eye to eye anymore. And it's just better for me. He could have said something just simple like that, but no, it was clear there's something more. How do you feel about the fact that he doesn't have this relationship with his family? It was almost like he was begging to be asked more questions about it because I am someone who does not have any communication or connection to my family. Just came up at a doctor's appointment I had recently about like a family medical history question. And I, and I said to them, I said, I don't know. I don't speak to my family. You know, and it's just kind of matter of fact, and it doesn't invite further questioning. So they would be a good example because they would hear responses from people every single day. So did they act like, <gasps> or were they like, okay, cool? No, they had totally moved on. They were like, okay, that's fine. You know, like, and, and I think there are a lot of people, especially when you get to be our age, who have fallen out, maybe not with parents, but sometimes with parents, but certainly with siblings. I mean, once you're an adult, a lot of the things that bound you to family because blood is thicker than water kind of falls away. If you're of a clear thinking head, relationships become much more about, you know, the actual caring and loving and doing of the thing and not so much the default, the de facto we're family. Yeah. I think that we hear a lot of that, like, I pick my family through my friends. Yeah. So I, I don't think it's odd that he would be estranged to him. I think it's odd the way he delivered that line, like, as if there was some great top secret information related to it. And let's be clear, Grace and Jonathan are older than us. So, I mean, I'm talking by a good at least 10 plus years. So to me, I feel like it's like the fact that he might not have like a really strong connection with his family is extra. That's not that big of a deal. Right. And but it's interesting that he went out of his way to say not only would they not have the means to help post bail, they would not have the inclination to do so either. It was a whole lot of TMI, but I think it's all kind of part of Jonathan's thing. And, and Haley gets into this really with him after that bizarro meeting at Fernando's apartment. Haley really digs into him about his charm and his weaponized charm, which what we've been talking about since episode one. This is all part of that. The vulnerability as like a fly into the ointment kind of thing. Mm -hmm. He's almost like a spider. He lures people in to his charm and his by his vulnerability. What did you think about the way that Haley did that? Did it give you like the heebie-jeebies? Like, did you see it coming? Did you know what she was doing or did you did you not? It, the whole thing kind of happened fast, and so I didn't really absorb either of them at that point. I was much more aware of both of them in this scene. And and, and it starts with, we're, we're talking about the scene where Haley is laying him out, reading him the riot act for going to Fernando's place and talking to him and tampering with the witness, and it's a violation of his bail. Jonathan is non-apologetic. And Haley realizes that he believes that he could mesmerize, he could change Fernando's mind about him. Maybe, you know, to the point of maybe even getting him to testify on his behalf, you know? That seems to be where he was kind of taking it. Jonathan does this eye roll thing, Caroline. I don't know if you caught this eye roll thing. When she says, you thought you could change his mind, 
he rolls his eyes as if to say, yeah, I was pretty sure I <laughs> yeah, could. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't catch it the first time, but holy shit, what a, a subtle way to indicate he is fully in control of what he yeah. does. I did not see that whole thing coming, though. Like, I did not recognize it, even upon second watch, when she starts kind of coming on to him. Now, I didn't remember them kissing or anything. So I was watching this and I was like, huh. And then when he's like, all right, so did I pass your little test? I was like, oh, damn, I am terrible at this game. I would never think to test someone like that. So I would be terrible. When I was listening to her words this time around, I was able to tell that she was testing him. One, I like that he kind of growled at her, did I pass your mm -hmm. test? But I liked her sass back saying, barely. <laughs> I you know, Haley doesn't take anyone's shit. <laughs> You know, and despite Haley's protestations that she is not a funny person, I think Haley is pretty she, fucking funny. I think she's got tons she of sass in her. smooth as hell, yeah. <laughs> I didn't see that, and I'm not a tester of people like that, so I'm so straightforward in an embarrassing way a lot. So I feel like there's some times when, you know, after the fact, I'm like, oh, I should have played it like Haley would have, you know, but I never do. Let's stay with Haley. Let's stay with the earlier conversation, the first meeting that they have. Right after the estrangement conversation, Haley asks him about how many other women. She doesn't ask him, really, if there have been other women. She just assumes that there have been and, and says how many. And he sticks to his guns that there's only been one. When he was really sad. He was in a bad place. Uh, it was a one-off. one, one mm -hmm. offer. And uh, what did you think of his admission that it was a one-time sad fuck? Do you believe him that it, he's only stepped out of the bonds of his marriage once? And two, who do you think he's talking about? Because we don't get a name. They cut away. I really don't think it's the first time. At least it's not the first time that he's crossed some lines. I don't know if it's full-on cheating. I don't know if Grace even gives any amount of blessing to any, like, extra flirtation. If you're in a relationship with someone who is as flirtatious as Jonathan is, you might have to have different rules because I feel like a guy like him, given as long as they've supposedly been together, would either have been like squashed down by like a woman saying like, please stop doing that, quit doing that, blah, 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 or they have an understanding and like there's some amount of like extra he can be before he like sets off any alarms. That could be crossing lines that maybe a traditional couple would say like that's too far and that would be considered cheating. He might be able to do more. Man, Mike, I <laughs> have just edited our undoing episode three and the amount of times that we talk about Sylvia and what the frig was going on in that courtroom and stuff, I didn't think about it at all until I heard us talking about it and then I was like, Oh my God, the sad fuck has to be Sylvia. Doesn't it have to be Sylvia? It has to be Sylvia. It has got to be. You combine the, the secret employment, you combine the reason he would have turned to her in the first place. I'm sure a doctor in Manhattan knows plenty of lawyers. I mean, they kind of go together. Why would he intentionally seek out his wife's best friend knowing he wasn't going to tell his wife? Why else would he be so confident that her best friend wouldn't mention it to him? Well, because he's kind of got some leverage over her. He's got some, he's kind of got some blackmail over her. I am a cynical person by nature, so I almost always assume the worst in people. So I always think there's something going on. I always think there's a subtext. I, the fact that they cut away 
before giving us the name. I think that that is TV language for it's someone we know. And I think that there's has just to be no so one good. left. No one else is going to hit as hard. What Janelle Maloney is <laughs> one right. of the other ladies who lunch. And who cares if it's her? Honestly, like it's got to be somebody we know. It's just got to be. I'm on Team Sylvia, which then I give you all the credit when we were talking about the courtroom scene of like, could this be like, you know, um, what do you call them? Eye fucking. It, it could have been eye fucking. Uh, yeah, the eye fucking. Like, fuck eyes, oh, yeah. And they called mm-hmm. fuck eyes. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I, fuck- <laughs> I, I think you're thinking of fuck all. Eye fucking and fuck all. Yeah, so <laughs> those eyes definitely. I mean, to me, still multiple meanings, you know, which which I had layered on there. If you put my comment and your comment together in the previous episode, you were like, I fucking I was like, please don't tell my wife I fucked you. <laughs> Mash those two things together. And I think you got who the sad fuck is. You know, it, it is a it's just another layer of the kind of betrayal. It's It's just another layer of Grace has no one. No one in Grace's life is not playing her to some degree. As it turns out, the really super aggressive police officers may be her actual best friends in this entire situation. I think that you're right in a lot of ways. I mean, especially because we talked a lot about it in episode three about the idea that they seem to know more information. And it's almost like they're being patient with Grace to come to her own realizations. Like how when we were talking about the video at the very end of the last episode, they were just waiting for her. You made this great point where you go, it's like you make this face like, oh, we're going to do this now. Now we're going to do this. Like, I'm going to go ahead and show you the video that you know already exists because you know where you were. It's like this game of like cat and mouse slash chess that is fascinating because it's like a bunch of people all around Grace knows what Grace knows but also knows that Grace doesn't know she knows. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like it's almost like Grace is in the Truman yes. Show, except for the Truman Show is set in Manhattan. Grace should know all of the shit that she doesn't actually. Yeah, seem it's to like know. she's just. It's like she had amnesia. There's actually a bunch of that that I want to talk to when we get to Grace, but let, let's stick with Jonathan though. Let's run through him because he he had interesting interactions with everyone in this episode. I want to get to that bail the the scene where Franklin, who has now agreed to pay Jonathan's bail, he goes to pay his son-in-law a visit. I love that Franklin is such a badass that he can threaten to kill. Jonathan, while sitting (laughs) in the, like, meeting room surrounded by corrections officers. And listen, when Donald Sutherland and his eyebrows threaten to kill you. All three of them. The two eyebrows and Donald's mouth. All three together. (laughs) Yeah. You've got to take that shit to the bank. You know? It's like when he says you haven't met ugliness yet. Like, I would. It's it's a testament to the Britishness of Hugh Grant. (laughs) or to Jonathan, that he does not just put a load in his pants. (laughs) The guy is terrifying. But I want to ask you, he says, I'm going to make good with Grace. I'm going to make good with Henry. I'm going to make good with you. And what planet does Jonathan think he'll be able to make good with any of them? Maybe Henry. Maybe even Grace with his charm offensive. But... Motherfucker, Franklin didn't like you before you were accused of murder. We learn why later on, you know, at least a portion of why uh, his animosity towards Jonathan. But what do you think he possibly could think he can make these things good? Again, the relationship with Grace is confusing, probably to the majority of us. And at the very least, it's complex. I think they may have had some amount of longer leash with each other and or maybe more complex than just a monogamous relationship. So that, yes, all the things that he said about having an affair, falling in love, maybe those things weren't supposed to happen exactly. But 
I don't think that they were just just the two of them all the time, all day long, whatever. I think that there's something more. Going back to Henry's comments of like, he went off, you know, dad goes off the grid sometimes, is really bad about checking in. There's more to all of that, including the relationship. So I think there's something that could be salvaged with Grace. I also go back to our earlier comments about how Jonathan was Grace's choice. He was the guy that he she knows her father is not okay with, but still chooses him. So there's something there about hanging on to him that is like the release valve to whatever the relationship is with Franklin and her. I go back to her patients and who are such a mirror for her that we've seen this episode. Now, remember, this is now two episodes in a row. After two episodes of seeing her be a therapist, now we've had two episodes in a row where she has not seen patients. But I go back to episode two, the gay couple, they're talking about how he cheated in part because he wanted to live dangerously. Mm -hmm. A little bit of Jonathan is that, like you're saying, is that her living dangerously. It was her stepping out of the wishes of Franklin and his control. And I think that's just another great way the show is kind of mirroring Grace and who she is to her patients. Because there's a whole lot of you see in men what you want to see and not what they're actually telling you who mm -hmm. they are. There's a lot of that going on with Grace. And again, that's that's the very first patient we see her with back in episode one. Jonathan is her choice. It is her living dangerously. And it's like her little haven away from whatever Franklin exerts his control on her. He, she, she can run off to him. Because Franklin knows that only in the best of circumstances can he really wedge between Grace and Jonathan. And so far, it's only been short-lived. He knows that he's going to end up having to pay Jonathan's bail. He knows he's going to end up having to pay for Haley Fitzgerald to represent Jonathan. Franklin knows at some point he's going to lose the battle against Jonathan, such is Jonathan's hold over Grace. And by the way, no two people have ever been clearly going to fuck as Jonathan and Grace are at some point in the near <laughs> right. future, despite all of her protestations that they are not going to be a couple in any way, shape, or form. Those two, I'm surprised he did not climb up on her in the hospital bed and begin to hump her while Henry and Franklin <laughs> were in the room. I thought you were going to say that part where they were taking the walk outside and there's the noozling in the neck. Like, I thought he was just going to, like, lay her down right there, or, like, push her backwards against those railings. He definitely had a finger in her oh, pants. Oh, the tension was serious. <laughs> yeah, those two are definitely going to fuck soon. Like, I mean, holy shit. She she wants she wants to be with him. She wants it she wants him to be innocent. She wants him to be the man she thinks she loves or the man that she thinks that he is. But we're still not ready to talk about Grace. Damn it, <laughs> I know, stop we just it. keep wandering that way. It's hard not to though because that's the thing. Their relationship is so complex. Things that are going on with him are going to involve her and vice versa. So I think the bigger question that you just asked me was, how does he get back into good graces with Franklin? Now, I think that that's just a joke because as we've learned throughout this episode, there never was good graces. I mean, you know, from the get, he didn't like him. So then that part's just kind of foolishness. It was so deliberate, though, because he didn't even say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to make good with with Grace Henry and you or I'm going to make good with Grace and Henry. Like he specifically said, make good with Grace, with Henry, make good with you. And now maybe that's just something that's just Jonathan's speech pattern, but it's delivered so earnestly. And again, maybe that's just part of his weaponized charm. It's the same way he talks about the estrangement in such a 
away. It's the same way he contorts his face as if he's stroking out during the interview oh, when he's getting emotional in the most British yeah. way. I mean, I wanted to call EMS to come help him. He was having such face contortions. <laughs> it was kind of grotesque. I'm with you. For sure. Jonathan does two batshit crazy things, or at least two outlandish things at the end of this episode. One, he goes to visit Fernando. I watch a lot of television, Caroline. Jonathan on bail for the alleged murder of Elena Alves showing up at Fernando's door, feeding his love child, yes, grabbing the face of Miguel, who had the worst one single tear, broke my heart, his little single oh tear, when, when Jonathan sat down next to him. Like, this is the most batshit insane thing I have ever seen on television. This five-minute scene but is But you know insane. what else? It was also, what like, kind of, like, gross, like, grooming. Good. The way that they let him in. Let's start there. How many of us even open the door? Very few. I mean, when he sits down next to Miguel, there's that whole moment. It was almost like you could tell that Miguel... It was like a child abuser, like walking over and sitting down and you could see mm -hmm. him like paralyzed. Like Miguel could have gotten up, could have yelled at his face, could have done a million things, but he was like paralyzed. Like this whole family had been groomed by this man to just allow him to yeah. do whatever he wanted to them. He had like the right response of crying, yes. knowing that this yes. was bad, knowing I need to leave this room. But Fernando, dude, my man, what? In the actual fuck. I mean, this was – Jonathan showing up is crazy on Jonathan's part. But that Fernando sat and talked to him, offered a baby, I would have been reaching for kitchen mm. knives. Like, the police would have had to come to clean up the mess that I would have left of Jonathan Frazier showing up in my house the way he did, acting the way he did. But you're 100% right. He didn't just have an, a, a, an affair with Elena. He had an affair with his mm -hmm. family. They are just like – People to use, you know, and, and as a whole group. And it's so frightening, I guess, because, again, it's like this man just walks into your home and everyone freezes and everyone does what he what he wants you to do. And it, I mean, it's my Oprah, like child abusers or abusers in general. They're not strangers and they're not scary. They're charming and they're likable because otherwise they wouldn't be successful. So they're not those... They have the power of mesmeration. Yeah. And so, like, to watch him do that to this family as a whole group was just like, oh, my God, my head is swimming. I don't know if you watch Jessica Jones on Netflix. David Tennant played a... Well, he was a villain, but he had a power over Jessica Jones. And Jessica Jones was a strong, badass female. No one was getting inside Jessica Jones's head except for this guy. And he had a way of just turning her on her ear... That no one else in the world possibly could. But he knew, like, the right harmonic frequency to, like, open up the doors to unlock all of, like, the locks. Jonathan, I mean, we got to watch that at work tonight. I mean, all he had to do was just stick a shoe in, in the door, and then he was mm -hmm. in. That was it. That was the struggle. A half-hearted trying to close on Jonathan's shoe. And then Fernando was just kind of rolling over and showing his belly. He gave him the baby. I mean... There's something so much more there, Mike. Like, people don't just act like yeah. that. Like, there's got to be something more that is just not clear. Now, I say that. However, we think we have a pretty good idea of the relationship between Jonathan and Grace, mostly. And yet, when he walks into the room at that hospital and starts touching her face, and doing that, like, boop, beep, boop, all that biz, um, no one in that room jumps up and says, get out. 
No one. Like, it's like everyone's under the spell. And Grace is like, no, stop. Like, it's all like, oh, my God. And that's basically what Fernando was like. He's like, no, get out. Do you want the baby? (laughs) If Fernando didn't have the baby in his hands, he would have been holding hands with Jonathan the same way Grace was by the end of that examination. Now, it's important to note that because Franklin is sitting in that chair and has red eyes and steam coming out of his ears. It is the most murderous I have ever seen a human being look, but doesn't say anything. He just swallows it down. It's almost like he is like, uh, not hypnotized, like cursed almost into Why inaction. does he have this force field around him, Jonathan, where no one can just be like, no, even Haley. I know that, yes, she calls him out and all those things. Yes, but she doesn't take him as far down as she could. Does that make sense? Like she still stops, you know? I get, you know, I think it's a little bit of game recognized game when it comes to Haley. Haley knows that he's the real, and that's her realization moment in that episode, which leads us to our our next thing. Um, But before we get there, because that's a great question, but I I wanted to talk about the the part of the conversation. I I was thinking back to last week's Mm -hmm. episode when Fernando and Grace got into it. Fernando was super aggro against Grace. Your husband killed my wife. Like, really aggressive going at Grace about Jonathan and about her. And then when Grace starts bringing it to Fernando, talking about were there other men? Was she getting treatment? Jonathan asks very similar questions tonight. He's sitting at Fernando's kitchen table. He's 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 grooming his son's hair. He's about to feed the baby. And he's asking, you know, was there something off with Elena? You know, kind of implying, like, were there other guys? Like, what's, what was yeah. her deal? Fernando is is all – is none of the fire that he had last week against Grace. None of it. It was a really interesting thing. Like, watch those two scenes together. Go back and watch Fernando and Grace get into it and then watch Fernando with Jonathan. There's nothing – there's no fire in his belly. And this is yeah. the guy. You were about to smack Grace last week for Jonathan killing your wife, but he's here now in your kitchen and you're just kind of being like, you want to feed, you want to hold the baby, you know? I I made a joke when I was like way younger that I would always rather be in charge of someone else younger than me or smaller than me because I'm more brave. Like if I'm just out in the world by myself, it had to do with flying on a plane and it was like, oh, I'd rather take my younger brother with me because I will be like all business. I will take care of it because I'm in charge of someone littler than me. And if I'm by myself, I'm more weak. So when he's actually in the house with two little kids, you'd expect that Fernando would be like extra peacocking, like extra Papa Bear. You're not going to come into here and do this to to my little family just out of just freaking primal instinct to to protect them. At least with respect to Miguel, you know, because I believe maybe it's hard for him to love the the little girl, the baby. It is sad, but I believe that. And, you know, I give him a lot of credit for continuing to do it. And, you know, and I I appreciate the struggle that that must be and the circumstances around it. But he doesn't get up for, he doesn't, you know, get hard. He doesn't get up for for defending Miguel. I don't know, man. I, I can't imagine a situation where someone comes into my kitchen and sits down and starts stroking Tom's hair without there being some dire consequences for that person. P.S. (laughs) Allegedly, yes. Right? Or at least that I believe has killed my wife. Like, I I can't imagine a situation where the police aren't coming and hauling me away from a bloody mess because that's like core, you know, never got beat out of us by evolution, back of the brain caveman I mean, it it, it just is. And even the whole part where like when he puts the foot in the door, I'm, I'm just saying like there would be so much more of a struggle right then. 
You know, I push back on the door. He maybe he's grabbing the door. Maybe there's like an actual back and forth. But like, I don't let him in like and I'm not Fernando and I'm not going to let him in. To top it all off, it's not even that Jonathan is there just to check on the family or to see the baby or to check on Miguel. He's there to threaten Fernando to stop following Grace, which is just kind of extra Mm -hmm. ballsy. Like, he's coming in here, he's touching his kid, he's holding the baby, he's feeding the baby, he's sitting at your table asking if your wife was off. And then, on top of that, you know, by the way, you need to stop following my wife, you need to stop harassing her kind of thing. (laughs) What kind of titanium-sized balls... The strength balls does does Jonathan Frazier have on him? Holy it's shit! It's it's amazing the the amount of questionable mental health going on here for both Grace and Jonathan is like beyond. It, it struck me while I was watching this scene. The one thing that does make sense to me, and maybe why Fernando doesn't get all crazed when it comes to Jonathan, is even if Jonathan is guilty of murdering Elena, which I don't think he is, he and Fernando maybe have the most in common on this show in the loss of the woman they loved. I think Fernando and Jonathan are kind of bound together in a way that no one else is bound on the show. I like what you're saying. I think that they did both genuinely love Elena. She was one of those women that, you know, I do believe she probably had a great deal of issues. I mean, we saw her breaking down. We saw her crying. Maybe it was it was these men and it was like man-made issues or or maybe she had her own struggles that she was fighting with. We know she was an artist. It seemed like she kind of had that angsty you know, sort of cliche artist personality of like, she just, every time we saw her, she was like crying or just struggling with her emotions and everything. And so I really wonder who she was as a person, but it's clear to me that both Fernando, Miguel as well, and Jonathan loved her very much. So I think that they did really send home that message that these people did lose someone that they loved. That's the first time I've ever heard that. I mean, I don't know, like, within law school world, if they ever talk to you guys about that. But the idea that if you're accused of killing somebody, especially a spouse, and you didn't do it, there's never a moment where, like, anyone's like, so I guess, sorry, uh, you can grieve now for, like, your lost love. Yeah, the reporter kind of makes this point when we get to the interview, and and I think this is a perfect time to kind of segue to the interview. P.S. Was that Connie Chung? It said Connie, like, on the thing, and I swear I recognized her voice. She asks him, or points out to him, that he's kind of acting as if he feels like he is a victim. The obvious answer here is, no, 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 I'm not a victim here. We we should remember Elena, who's lost. But fucking titanium ball Jonathan is like, well, I'm not a victim in, like, the I'm still alive sense, but I'm a victim because I lost the woman. Like, that is not the response any lawyer would ever coach a, a client to say. That's not the response that anyone with common sense would ever say. But if you are Jonathan Frazier and you have this force field of charm, of course you can go on television in an interview that's going to be seen by millions of people and say, yeah, I'm kind of a victim too. You know, no one's really talking about the the, the grief and heartache I'm going right. through. Fucking titanium balls, Caroline. <laughs> what did you think of this interview? Because you, you've you been a little bit more critical of Jonathan, I think, than I have as far as maybe guilt and, and overall personality. Did you find this effective? Did this help sway you? Because, I mean, that's what Haley's trying to get at here, right? She's trying to set a, tell a story before the trial begins. I mean, let's see. I have always thought he was a charming character. I do understand trying to take that charm and use it for good, if you will, for the good of the case. I think that it was a a reasonable strategy. 
I don't know that Jonathan himself actually delivered in terms of charm. I mean, we discussed that creepy ass face he was making when he was like sort of trying to cry or whatever he was doing. Uh, like, I didn't like that. And I didn't think that his face or his demeanor came across charming or somebody who you were just like, my heart goes out to him. While I think it was a good strategy, I don't really think it was very effective. Did you? I did because I think it is Jonathan doing what Jonathan does best, where he confesses to X and Y so that he is able to vehemently, passionately, and sincerely deny having done this. Okay. And I think the the stroke face <laughs> while he gets emotional aside, I think that reads on TV like, holy shit, like this stoic guy can't hold it together. And whether it's machinations or it really is him, you know, feeling his feels because he did love Elena and he had, has lost her. Jonathan is the kind of guy, you're uh, the kind of person you're never going to know. It, it's hard with people who are so charming and, and use that charm as a weapon to know when they're being sincere or insincere because it all comes off as sincere. That's the genius of their power. That's the danger of their power. You never know when you're being straight talked or you're, you're being bullshitted. And I think, I think there was a mix of that in here. Jonathan was painting a story. He was setting a table ahead of jury selection, ahead of the trial. He was tampering with, with the witness pool, I think. Oh, for sure. That was her plan, right? That was Haley's entire plan was to just completely poison the whole jury pool. Uh, I'm sorry, tampering the jury pool, right? Not the yeah. witness pool, but which, you know, a little bit of tip for tat. There's, you know, how many news stories, how much news coverage got? We see Henry watching it on his phone on the stairs at yes. school, watching oh the trial. Mike, and, you know, the that child sitting on the steps in the school and now not anybody is like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> Where are the adults in this kid's life? Where are the adults of this kid's life? He needs a restrictor block on his viewing habits. Oh that kid should not watch anything other than Nickelodeon <laughs> or Disney Plus because he watches bad. He makes bad, dangerous choices for a kid should not be watching. He, he's watching that interview. I was fucking shocked. What are you doing? Letting him watch that Sylvia's interview. Sylvia's daughter, too. Oh. I was sitting there watching that. And I was like, this is the most bizarre viewing party I've ever seen. Like, what are we doing here? Right, 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 right. Like, like, like Jonathan was up yes. for an Emmy, except for no, it was the interview where he confesses to his infidelity, to being in yes. love, to being in love with her. Did you not die a little bit for Grace while she watched it, while her eyes went wide and heard her husband sincerely, sincerely proclaim his love for another woman? Could you imagine? No. Caroline, could you no, imagine? No, I mean, ugh, it was not just her heart breaking. It was also, again, this seems so weird because we've said it so many times, as if she was just learning this information, you know? And not like, okay, of course, there's like that sense of, well, sure, he said it to her privately on the beach deck, and she didn't expect him to say it on live national television. So those are two different things. So her, her eyes widening mm -hmm. can also be, you know, my best friend Sylvia is sitting here. My son is sitting here. My dad's sitting here. And maybe they didn't hear him say that before. Um, and now this is all happening. But there was even like that sense of she's just getting the message, like as if she didn't mm -hmm. know before. It's interesting the things that Grace reacts to and doesn't react mm -hmm. to. You know, the things that she has so many things, so much information, she has no visible reaction at all. And then other things, her eyes go wide. And that's how you know she's getting some some kind of new information or at least new to her. You're exactly right that when we zoom in on her eyeballs, that is like the 
either the information's finally penetrating or this truly is the first time she heard it. Whichever it is, it kind of doesn't matter, but it's the first time she's like aware, really aware and hearing it. Just before we leave Jonathan and get to Grace, there's one more thing I had in my notes that I want to make sure I brought up only because it was a master stroke between Haley and Jonathan and cuts against the sincerity versus this is such a well-staged play that they're putting on here. There's a scene where at the very beginning of the interview, Connie Chung, and it is Connie Chung, you know, asking him the hard questions. She asks, why on God's earth would you leave? Why would you flee if you're an innocent man? He says that... I didn't at all feel like an innocent man. And again, this is Jonathan being the masterstroke, right? He's he's gearing up to confess to his high crimes and misdemeanors so that he could stop short of saying that he's guilty of the murder. But what a great line. And then, so he goes on for a bit, but then he starts to say something and he stops, Caroline. He stops and he looks back at Haley and she says, go on. And she kind of like, you know, kind of resigned. Like, this is your story. You've got to tell your story mm-hmm. kind of thing. And he goes on. It is the greatest bit of body language and acting like I'm about to tell you something that I should (laughs) not tell you, but I'm so taken in the moment. I'm going to let you come come closer to me. Like, come on in, in. honey, because I'm going to tell you something. Come on. I'm going to lower my voice. You have to lean in. I'm about to tell you something, you know, and then, and he sets her up and then he starts to lay the seeds that other people maybe were jealous. Mm -hmm. Maybe that, and that's why he feels guilty that he feels he's the proximate cause of her death because of the, the violations, you know, She's cheating on her husband. I'm cheating on my wife. You know, people would know and that maybe jealousy is what led to her death. That's a fucking masterstroke. The idea that I'm guilty of her death in a metaphorical way makes it obvious then he can't be guilty of her death in a literal way. Right? Because that's how that works. I'm metaphorically the cause of her death. So I can't be the literal cause of her death. That's a fucking masterstroke. It's genius. I I fist pumped (laughs) because it was so good, even though it was morally reprehensible. I I loved it as well, especially the acting, like you said, the the whole delivery of that and and the fact that they would make you lean in. And I felt like they did, like the viewing party portion, they did kind of lean in. Like, what exactly is he going to say? You know? And then, oh my gosh, Mike, that last second, that last second of him looking directly into the camera. Mm-hmm. O-M-G. TV-wise, they're, they're telegraphing that he's going to say grace because he breaks the fourth wall. He looks right at the camera. He's about to reveal the name of someone possible. And then the screen cuts back to grace. In, in every situation on television, that's always a telegraph that you're talking about the person that you cut to, right? That's how directors send that information. But here, I feel like it's it's a red herring. Maybe maybe he is about to sell out his wife, right? Because she's been cleared, we learn at the beginning of the episode. She's been cleared of being a suspect because apparently she was on her walkabout all through the period of the murder taking place. She's the perfect person maybe to lay doubt about. I don't know. What did you think? Who who was he going to say right before the cameras? See, cut off? this felt like the ending of Clue, where it's like, "Let me tell you how it happened," and then he could, like, he can literally say anyone's name. He can be like, "I had this one night stand with my wife's best friend, Sylvia. She's still in love with me." She could say, he could say, "My father-in-law. He's a controlling, you know, just um, narcissistic guy who just wants to have Grace and Henry all to himself." He could say. Freaking anything, can, and it would be he like can say Henry, he could a fan say of true Henry. crime, who was who found out about my affair and was worried it would break up the family, and so he acted rashly to eliminate the issue the way he saw it. 
he could say literally anybody. He really could. And I would be Those like fucking doorman yeah. at Franklin's building. They're very involved in their information. <laughs> Hello, miss. Hello. Bonkers, bonkers. But it was it was the same way. It was a total lean forward moment. What is he going to say? The same way he we cut away the, before we find out the name of the sad fuck. The show, the show knows how like an ASMR master knows how to make you lean forward and listen. Hey, you know what? Remember how you had called it? And I don't know if it was in this one or the previous episode where you said it was sort of like this Truman Show-esque experience with Grace, where it seems like a lot of people around yes. her know what's that up. was this episode about 20 minutes ago okay so <laughs> when she when he looks into the camera i had this flashback to the truman show and when he looks the director if you will looks directly into the camera and is like talking to truman it like hadn't happened before like that but it was like it was like the first time truman kind of realized what was going on that like that look into the camera felt so much like this entire situation is finally being seen for what it is because I'm looking directly into the camera now. Like I'm not going to play act. I'm not going to talk to Connie. I'm looking directly at you. Whomever you is, I don't know. But it's like I'm not playing the game anymore, whatever the game is. The power of Jonathan Frazier is he can eye fuck through a television camera. That is some serious eye fucking. That's what we're talking about, though, right? I mean, that's the level of power <laughs> like this like, man has. Caroline, listen to me. This is the level. <laughs> you haven't accepted it. Accept Jonathan Frazier as your lord and savior. <laughs> And let him whisk you away. Kudos to the makeup department because Jonathan looked like absolute dog shit in the prison, in the jail. Yeah. He looked old. His face was so bloated and blotchy. He looked god awful. And then at, once he was out on bail and he cleaned up and he must have had some meals, maybe he got a little quick tanning session in. I don't know. He looked much healthier, but in, in the jail, when the episode begins, when he's talking to Haley, and yeah, the whole top of the episode, he looks so horrible. Jail is not agreeing with him. I agree with you so much. And also the wardrobe and stuff. Man, talk about a moment of complete just narcissism when they're leaving the jail and they're surrounded by all those all the press and he pauses mm -hmm. to make a statement. Haley and Grace were like WTF? Like, what are you doing? And it's like, oh, no, y'all. He has to talk to the press. They expect something from him. He must give it to them. No? Like, it's such a game. I was like, oh, my God, dude. You're really going to talk to them? I have in my notes here, no way, no way any lawyer lets him talk to reporters in this scene. No With exclamation way. points and asterisks. I Like, when I saw it, I was like, oh, Mike's going to freak. <laughs> The rules don't apply to him, though, right? This is what we keep hearing about. This is what the Badger, the public defender, told him. You you don't get to be a dick anymore. But he kind of still does get to be a dick. Yeah. That's kind of the lesson of this episode is Jonathan kind of still gets to be Jonathan, which is sad and scary. But I think it's also a testament of the power of Jonathan, of the, the sway he holds over the people in his orbit, if you get caught in his orbit. Let's go to the top of the episode. Were you surprised that Grace said so strongly that she was not going to be taking the stand uh, in Jonathan's defense. Obviously, right? Haley is Haley is testing her. She's pressing her to see if she can stand withstand a cross-examination. She laughs. She scoffs. She's like, I'm not taking the stand. Do you believe that? And were you surprised that that's her position at this point? 
Uh, I believe that she absolutely does not even think the stand and anything about testifying would apply to her because she doesn't seem to get what's going on. Yeah, I think that it would be insane to put her on the stand given all that we've seen. From Haley's standpoint, it makes sense to bring this up, but from what we see Grace is up to all around the whole world here, she is so all over the place and doesn't have a clear grasp on what the hell even happened that, yeah, no, she'd be a disaster. I, I have no idea what the hell she would say. Did you? Would you put her on the stand? Did you, did you think it was a good idea? I would put her on the stand because she has played the part and she says this to Jonathan. She's like, she says, you know, when she's telling him that we're not going to be a family anymore, we're not going to be a couple anymore. She says though, that she will play the role of the wife, you know, while he's out on bail, she'll be the dutiful wife near his side, which is what I would expect her to do. She seems like she understands how the quote unquote game is played uh, enough that I think she would take the stand. I think uh, kind of you were you were saying this. I think I would be a little worried about her stability mm -hmm. because if you've been paying attention, Haley Fitzgerald, like <laughs> you, you know, Grace is doing a fucking walkabout in the middle of the night right by where the apartment is. Yeah. Come on, yeah. I mean, even if the police are cool with that, she's not going to hold up in the in the cross examination. I mean, they're going to say stuff to her that's going to be crazy. No doubt, they have some shit to bring up on her. Just you know, it can't just be the video. There's got to be more. There's got to be more, and we're going to get that in a second when we get to the uh, Mendoza and O'Rourke scene, the, the the weekly scene where they, like, really press her to the wall. <laughs> what did you think of the classism comment that Haley brings up here? Because you and I spent a, a decent amount of time talking about this actually last week, and Haley kind of made it explicit in this episode when she's talking to her, why are the police still coming after me? Why are they being so harsh with me? And Haley tells her it's because they think you're withholding and they think you're withholding because you're rich. Rich people think that they can be assholes and they can withhold and the laws don't apply to them kind of comment. And and I thought it was interesting in light of how we were talking about the show and classism and how it was how the show was dealing with it. Did this totally sit right with you and how the show has been treating classism? I wish that we had had the opportunity to see how the police were handling literally anyone else. You know, the fact that we have not had any opportunity to see how they talk to Fernando. I feel like they're playing some sort of game with her, and I don't know if it has to do with her privilege or not. Like, it seems like there's this whole portion where they're trying to give her enough rope to hang herself, and that's the game they're playing. And I don't know if that is how they would play anyone at any echelon. Or, like, is that just their skill? That's their, their technique? That's how they handle people? Or is this specific to Grace? Because I don't have anyone else to compare how they've treated. I, I, I don't know to point at classism. But it's interesting, though, that it's Haley making that point, though, because Haley would be in a position to know how the police handle people in this. At that echelon, though. I mean, Haley is like the most expensive lawyer in the land. Yeah, true. So how much experience but... would she have with the Fernandos of the world and, and getting them out from, a, you know, a police custody situation? Like, I don't know. Maybe some. But, but maybe not much. That's a good point. Maybe uh, Haley may be shaped by her experiences of the level of the of her clientele. I don't know. It was it was just an interesting commentary because there's so much of because you, we hear that comment from Haley about they're on you because you're rich and that's how rich people are. It's it's this rich people think they can be assholes. It's kind of like the doctor thing. Speaking yeah. of the badger and his feeling on <laughs> on how doctors get to be assholes. 
Grace seeks out the badger who has been relieved of duty as as counsel, but she goes to seek him out. Were you surprised? I was a little surprised that uh, we got to see the badger again. I thought we were done with him. What would you think? Okay, I want to amend what I just said on the classism front having to do with Franklin because even just like thinking it through as you were just talking, I do think that had anyone of another class spoke to the police officers the way that he did could have found themselves pushed down onto the ground (laughs) and or being handled much more roughly, if you will. I definitely think when he's saying my boy and all that stuff to them, I know that's a generational thing and that he is way older. So you could act like, well, he's just saying like you're you're like a young buck or whatever. But he could be saying that, but that's not he's not. I know. I know that. And you know that. So I don't want to act obtuse to the whole situation. Like, obviously, yes. I mean, Most of us wouldn't have the money to ever be out on bail like that. I mean, 90% of the world here would not have millions of dollars to be able to do this. So I don't want to act silly. Of course, classism classism is playing a role in the fact that he's out on bail, the fact that if they think that they had anything on Grace, I think that most of us would be brought in and arrested. There would be charges here, you know? But that's why there's some sort of kid gloves going on with Grace specifically, as if we don't know her full situation. Does that make sense on the kid gloves part? It does, but I think it's, I think what, what you may be calling kid gloves, I think you actually may have better described a minute ago as just giving her rope to hang herself. Yeah. Because Mendoza and O'Rourke think she is involved somehow. They don't know how exactly. They, you know, the, the video walkabout of her walking about for so long kind of disproves that she was actively in the murder, but she is involved in here. And the fact that she is not saying what the extent of her relationship with Elena is in a way that makes sense to these police officers who have this pile, this growing pile of evidence that Grace and Elena, in fact, had a relationship, in fact, knew each other well, more than just a conversation at a fundraising planning thing and then a a couple of conversations at a gala. There's a mounting amount of evidence and they don't even know about the gym. They don't even know about the gym conversations, which we've actually been privy to. I feel so bad because I interrupted your badger question and I didn't really want to bust away from that. But I could easily just be like, let's start talking about the painting. I'm like, I'm like pausing. Like, should I jump back to badger and... Yeah, we need to talk okay. about Badger because it, this is the first of the of the Grace dream sequences or okay. imagining sequences, the way we've been calling them uh, here. She asks him, and I think she goes to the Badger to your point of why why go speak to him. What's the motivation? I think she's seizing on the fact that when she had her first meeting with him, he in asking Grace what her opinion of jonathan is as a potential murderer says i think your husband is a dick but i don't think he is someone who's capable of murder and so i think grace goes back to him to try and get that reassurance because grace i think is trying to build a head of steam here to convince herself to start trying to convince others that jonathan maybe in fact is innocent and the badger had already expressed a doubt about him being guilty and he's a third party he's objective in grace's eyes so that makes sense to me why she would go back and see him I think also that that point that that we made in the last one that that Badger provides commentary that was coming out through the therapy sessions that no longer exist anymore. We have to have these sort of self-awareness talks or self-awareness about your relationship talks or about your husband Mm -hmm. talks 
through Badger. That conversation allows that information to come to light to the audience. And being in like a special needs world, one of the things that they teach you to do is to like circle out. So you can't constantly just be talking to Franklin and Sylvia and Jonathan about the problem. She needs to circle out to people who are not involved, but know just enough so that she can actually get more objective, but also people who are not Badger doesn't, whether or not he is guilty, doesn't actually affect Badger at the end of the day. So he has no motivation to give anything other than honest feedback. And he's like the only person really in her life like right. that. Yeah. I mean, yeah. When we're talking about possible best friends, I mean, we're, we're talking, we're talking Badger. We're talking Badger and the police officers because they're the only ones who are kind of being honest with her or at least kind, kind of holding up a mirror to her and saying, this is what's real. Yeah. Like what's in the mirror here is what's real. Not what's in your head. Not, not what the people around you are doing. Like they're, they're going through a script and they're, they're manipulating you. They're controlling you. They're playing you in one way or another. Badger doesn't have that same motivation. I think you're hundred percent correct. Do you think that Haley also provides a force field even for Grace, even though she's not Grace's lawyer, but that, that the, the detectives, the way that they do kind of like, it's like they don't want to muck up the case. So if they do, do something with grace and and do something that kind of like screws up the evidence in some way or does something exposes the evidence in a way that tips their hand to Jonathan because it's through grace. It feels like they're kind of like holding back for a variety of reasons. And I'll even throw out there because she's a beautiful white rich woman. I'll throw that out. Yeah, I mean Mendoza looks thirsty as fuck for grace. I mean, I I think I think he would be as good about just putting her down on the table. And having his way with her as as showing her evidence of her mounting guilt or at least complicit involvement. Damn, <laughs> I did not. Okay, so you're feeling that? I did not see that, but okay, I listened to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, just I it may it may just be the it may just be the delivery of you know Edgar Ramirez and it's just kind of this hunky Latin smoldery kind of you know very Jimmy Smith in his prime esque you know, kind of, you know, suave thing about him. There's a heat that comes off of Mendoza when he's talking to Grace. I, I'm sure you've met people in your life where you watch them talk and you're not sure if they want to fuck or fight. And, <laughs> and Mendoza definitely has that whole vibe. Of Do you meet a lot of people like that? I've known a decent amount of people like that in my life, yeah. Wow. Um, and, and they're fun to drink with. Yeah, so I think there's a little bit of that, but I think there is, I think, I think there's a lot of things going on with the cops. I think there is rope to hang herself with because they, th they don't believe her because they haven't gotten the memo on the Truman Show that she knows things that she doesn't know that she knows, or she doesn't know things that she knows, but she's forgotten that she knows them. Like they haven't gotten <laughs> that memo. So it just doesn't make sense to them. You have 97 missed calls from this woman. And sure, you didn't pick them up. We checked. People that don't know each other, unless she's like a bill collector, don't call your phone 97 times. You knew this woman. And how does she even have your phone number? And like, what the frig is all right. happening? Like, obviously, she had something to say to you. Obviously, there's something more here, which really begs the question because of how Fernando also comes to grace. What, Like we said in the last episode, like, what was it he wanted to say to her and, like, didn't really what say it? What was the whole it? reason? Yeah, why like, were you following her? What was your agenda? And then same, why were you calling her, Elena? Like, what is it that this couple wants to say to Grace? What are you doing? I think they wanted to say, your baby's been born. We'd like you to come pick it up now. The baby you contracted <sighs> us to have with your husband is arrived and it's ready for purchasing. How did you feel when Jonathan said, I could just take her with? I was... 
both shocked, but also because it's Jonathan, I was like, yeah, of course. Of course that's what he's saying inside this man's house, the the widowed husband of the woman he's allegedly murdered. Of course Jonathan is saying that. That's just who Jonathan is. But Did you think that Fernando considered it, though? I, I think he absolutely considered it. I think I think he absolutely considered it. I think he's already had that conversation with Franklin, to be honest. Remember, Franklin, mm-hmm. we last saw Franklin before this episode standing outside the Elvis's apartment. I believe there was a conversation had there about how much you want for that baby in the window. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, no, no. I, I think there is a, a, like an eBay thing going for, for the little baby. But she has her first flash of the episode. She imagines when she hears... Robert talking about how I think her husband is a dick, but not capable of a murderer. She has a flash and it's a whited out flash. So this is very clearly like an imagination thing, right? Because it's not a memory of the gala because it's all hazy. It's all it's like pure white background. The only things are Elena in her peach gown and Jonathan in his tux making eye contact with each other, which I don't actually remember happening that way at the gala. What did you take from that imagining? What was her purpose in thinking those thoughts in that conversation with the Badger? If we can trust the reality of what we saw initially and that everyone else was saying, hey, Elena seems to be looking at you, you know, Grace. Mm -hmm. If we can trust that, that those people were all seeing what was actually happening, then obviously this is a revisionist history where she, I think, is like justifying why I don't, I'm not, I don't know that Grace actually killed her with her hands, but I think that she is, like I said, revising history in a way that gives her justification for whether she called dad or whether she did it herself or whatever she did. I feel like it was just giving her like all the, the ammo she needed to feel like, nah, I, I, I had to do what I had to do. Interesting. Interesting. What I, did you think? How did you take that? I took that memory at that particular time because of what the Badger was talking about, how I think he is a philanderer, but not a murderer. I think she had that image in her head Almost like she's trying that theory out, right? I, I think I think the Badger really hit a chord with her with the post post trauma betrayal syndrome last week, and I think she's trying to imagine what if Jonathan is really just guilty of sleeping with this woman and not murdering her? What would that look like? Maybe it would look like eye contact them at the party, him going and taking Elena in the bathroom. Maybe it was just sex. Maybe it was just fucking at her studio. I think it's Grace in her powerful mind, which there's a great line tonight. Did Mm. you catch that line? Yes, very, very, very much. Oh, fucking bold underline. Her powerful mind is is more powerful than her heart. My my mind is stronger than my heart. Holy shit. I mean, that's that's been our whole thesis this whole season, talking about that. Mm -hmm. It was so validating to hear her say that today. So I think she was using that strong mind of hers to kind of uh, to to test out the memory theory of what if it was just sex? What if what what if the look wasn't one of murder, but one of just infidelity? He was just being a dick, not a murderer. Because because of what Badger was saying at the time, that's kind of almost like a, like a kid's cartoon where they would have a thought bubble. Like a parent says something to a kid in a cartoon. Okay. And it's like, bloop, bloop, yeah. bloop. And then like they kind of yeah. like test that out. Um, but I think you could layer mine on as the test out as well. Because I think she was testing out like if I had to retell this story – could I say she was staring at him 
as like my justification, mm-hmm. like even to myself, like maybe not to anyone else, but could I, could I redo that scene and make me be the person that she wasn't staring at? Like, I don't know. It's, it's, it's just a, such a game. And that's what I would call like the majority of her visions. They do seem to almost be like a test run. Like, what if I thought about mm-hmm. it this way? What yeah. if I thought about it this way? Yeah. What if she looked this way? Yeah. And it like it's like she's like uh, what's it's like beta testing or something or like Velociraptor at the fence. Like let me test this. this is, nope, that doesn't work. Let me test this. this is, nope, that doesn't work. Like she's just like looking for the weakness in the story that she can just exploit. Let me let me test this out. Uh, this theory out building on that. Please, Velociraptor. <laughs> what if <laughs> it's a one step more than that? What if it's her okay. trying to as if she was her own patient trying to show herself where she got it wrong, where she didn't see the reality of the thing that was happening, but saw what she wanted to see that it wasn't Elena actually looking at her, but Elena actually having eye contact with Jonathan at the gala. That's the reality Mm -hmm. of the situation, but Grace not seeing the reality of it, but seeing the version of Jonathan and her world that she wanted to see saw it the way we saw it at the party. But this mind memory is her trying to test out, trying to make a breakthrough in her own therapy of don't know Grace, you know, as a therapist, like a therapist would tell Grace, play that scene back in your head again. Was Lena really looking at you or was she really looking at Jonathan because they had a relationship going on? Okay, so let me ask you a couple questions then and and help me understand. So then would the friends' comments be real or not real? That when they're all like, hey, hey, she's looking at you, Grace. Real? Imagined? Well, I think the show is taking the position that women don't see men the way the men in their lives for the way they actually are. Okay, yes. That was established that they all, like, thought he was a god. Right. And so... It makes sense then that collectively, delusionally, they would see it as Elena looking at her and not at Jonathan. And also remember, this is coming off of the breastfeeding scene. So then in that case, when Sylvia presents it to her as like, hey, that was like, that was like aggression. That was like some hostility towards you again miss miss red or or did that happen or like what are we taking in there i i don't know i mean i still maintain that there was i i think it was a power play uh move on her part the same way she approaches her naked in the gym i think it was an intimidation power play but i think it was also tinged with a sexual i think there's a sexual aspect to it too of either desire or a single white female i kind of think these women slept together like in a pretty serious way grace and alina there's all this yeah Yeah, they definitely had sex we just haven't seen that flashback yet for sure so it's almost like we're we're living out a ghosting Mm -hmm. both and literally and figuratively right like because she's a ghost now (laughs) oh too soon rest in power alina um (laughs) i would not be surprised if at some point the the flashbacks or the imaginings we have seen of jonathan grabbing her you know taking her from behind in the bed and grabbing her breast in the studio i would not be surprised if at some point we see that that is actually a memory of grace and elena Whoa, cool. Okay, okay. I like that because so we have additional flashes, right, from Grace. 
where she is, I think, piecing back together. Remember those pieces that we had where she's on... So many pieces. Okay, when she's on one side of the Alves' living room Mm -hmm. and there's like Miguel, Mm -hmm. the baby, Mm -hmm. and Elena, right? So doesn't that piece together, if you're doing the jigsaw puzzle, with Elena's face looking back at her and painting? Yeah. Isn't that her posing? All, or at least all at the, around the same time because Elena looks so happy. She looks happy in that. Yes. And I told you when, when we saw that flash, I said that tells me that Grace was actually there at Elena's home. Yes. Uh, yep. And I've, I've always. And felt, I couldn't understand why she'd be there, but that makes sense. Yeah, but- because it was too specific a thought. Like, you know, if you're going to imagine things, you, you people will imagine things usually based on parameters that they know. So they'll use settings that they're familiar with. You know, maybe you place it in quote unquote Elena's home, but it looks a lot like your home or like a friend's home that you've been in. No, that was clearly Elena's home. It just felt like uh, the Alves' home kind of thing. It did. And so Grace was able to picture her there because she had been there. And and she was happy. She was joy. Remember, she was laughing with Miguel. And then again, there's the cutback to that where Miguel's out of the scene and it's just Elena and the baby. And she looks so happy. And in, in the flashes tonight with the oil painting, she's looking at she's looking at something as she's painting. She's not doing it from memory as detailed right. as that was. And she's looking at something. I think she's looking at Grace. I think Grace is it, it, she's is. joyful. You know, she's she's doing the like paint me like you paint your French ladies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to see that part where Grace puts her hand up on the sweaty car window. Oh god! <laughs> I think it's got to be coming. Like I don't see it going any other way. I really don't. It, this has to have been her affair, and this is just kind of like got twisted up somehow. I don't know exactly how. I don't know if it was their affair. I don't know if it was a threesome. Does the camera pan back and yeah, it's still Jonathan in the middle, but. There was an outside, like, you know, second piece of bread on that sandwich on the outside was Grace. Maybe, remember we talked about the control thing? Maybe Grace really is inside of Alayda. Maybe is grabbing her from behind, but we just haven't seen Grace on the other side behind Jonathan holding him or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Or south of the border. Remember the whole holding the arm mm-hmm, move? Mm-hmm. And she zeroes her her eyes in on that. The Like, the arm squeezing another arm with a hand on top. Mm-hmm. Like, ooh. That feels like could be like a shot we see. Maybe she sprayed so much of the perfume from that she found in Jonathan's coat on her because she knows that scent and she enjoys that scent. Yeah. 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 All that. All yeah. That. No, no. I mean, I've I've always felt that there was some kind of threesome or there was a there was a some kind of triangle sexual relationship here that I, I for some reason I always felt Fernando was on the outs of it. But I was never sure if it was like a like a surrogacy thing where for whatever reason there was a baby desire aspect to it or if it was just something that they all kind of got caught up in together. But I've felt that almost from the get go for, for whatever. It, I, I think it's just the vibe because there's this there's like this erotic like tone right yeah and so because of that it's like it this just can't be a husband had an affair the end like it just can't be that there has to be something that is like yeah but what about right because how did this it what if it's sylvia and grace with elena and jonathan like right there could be so much more messiness oh my god it's like that scene in dracula bram stoker's dracula where keno reeves is having the best night ever with the three harpies who are just like <laughs> suck him dry and keep him in bed and just keep fucking him until so he can't move fucking lucky bastard anyway yeah there's an erotic nature that wouldn't uh, on grace's part in when she's thinking about these things that wouldn't be present if there wasn't some some gasoline to light that up 
uh, I guess is how I, I feel. I'm with you. Okay, so I'm with you. That's I'm with the, you. That's a perfect segue. So let's go from here. Let's jump to her actual erotic Picasso-esque sex dream in, in, in the best way that dreams make no sense the way they morph together. Let's review the things that we see in this dream, and then I want your take on what it all means. We see Grace remembering Elena and her kissing in the elevator. We see Elena naked at the gym, but not a shot that we had previously seen from their conversation where Elena was naked at the gym. This one, she's like, she's kind of like a boss sitting with like her arms out stretch sitting on a bench kind of like here i am come take me we see an oil painting session where elena come to me i'm going with come to me uh or and we see an oil painting session where we see elena uh, seemingly looking at something and looking very happy as she paints we see jonathan elena fucking in the studio this is the same one this is the same shot we saw last week when grace is imagining that Fernando is listening from outside. We see that shot. And then we see Elena's P uh, being murdered from the POV of someone on top of her. And we see the the sculpting hammer come down on her head, which we also saw previously when she has that weird bus stop memory. Really five disparate things, but also all kind of connected by passion, passion of yeah. a sort. What did you take about that dream? You, I know I know you're fascinated by dreams and what they mean. What was your take on this dream if you were giving her advice? Oh, gosh. I mean, I definitely feel like this is somebody who was a love of hers. I mean, I think that she had love and caring towards Elena. The charm bubble is not just Jonathan. It exists around Grace. It exists around Elena. These three have this chemistry and have this whatever it is, the the need to be risky, the need to be adventuresome. Everything about these these sequences make me feel like we know that Grace had a lot of interactions with Elena, mm -hmm. but I think they were just like vignettes to a bigger relationship that they actually had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think this and I think there is a nice tie in here to our conversation earlier where you pointed out that Jonathan was Grace's choice. And, you know, and I added on the idea of this is her living dangerously. I, I think there's a nice tie in that this relationship, this thruple relationship-esque thing that seems to be taking shape here. It's interesting. We haven't had any scenes of Jonathan thinking about his time with Elena. And we've spent plenty of time with Jonathan, and we've not had any flashbacks to their time together. We've only experienced his relationship with Elena through Grace's uh, memory, through her strong mind. And I think that's interesting. Mm. I think Elena, as, as this new experiment, this new experience in their marriage, is just another way of her living dangerously. It's, it's like put on your rubber gloves and come scrubby in the shower. It's it's just another yeah. aspect of the kink part of their relationship. Very sexy, very dangerous. Yeah, it, really interesting that we keep seeing all of these POV shots, but it's hard to tell what's real and what's not. You know, we know the elevator kiss happened. Uh, everything else, we know she had an interaction where Elena was naked at the gym, but not with the come to me pose. That's a very different, that's not do I unnerve you, that's come here lover. Yeah. What did you think? Were you shocked by the oil painting bomb? I feel like every week Mendoza and O'Rourke drop some heavy fucking anvil on Grace. This week it was this <laughs> accurate, detailed, beautiful oil painting that Elena did of Grace that was found in her studio. Found in storage. Oh, found, that's found in storage. storage. Right. So done some time Not ago, right? Not like, yeah. yes, that's key because that, that gives some amount of timeline mm -hmm. here that she has been around for a while. How did I feel about the painting well she's been around well she's been around however old the baby 
baby is, at she's been around at least however old the baby is, minus gestation, minus some a minimal amount of time before she gets pregnant. So she's been around for quite a while, Elena. Yes. Also, there's no reason. Remember how we were talking about her body and we were like, oh, you know, I, I was and I was saying, man, you know, most women would not be so like free with themselves walking in the gym, like nude and stuff like that. What if those scenes were pre-baby, pre-pregnancy? Like maybe those scenes in the gym weren't after she had the baby, as we kind of assume it went in order, but more like she knew her before when she had the no pre-pregnancy bod. Yeah. Throwing that out there. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> I mean, I love I mean, I love that. I mean, Jonathan says to her when he's running down the obsession and he says, you know, when she went to, when she joined, got Miguel into Reardon and then she joined your gym. So she says, he says, joined her dream. Well, he says he became like aware that he, right, 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 right. So, so, I mean, that could be classic red herring, murder mystery, red herring. Cause it's bothered me all along that Elena was able to afford whatever gym Grace belongs to. Gyms are expensive everywhere. Having belonged to one, gyms in Manhattan are fucking ridiculous. Like, you could buy a car with, like, the yearly membership to a gym. What if maybe it was Grace? It, it's a place for them to be together, right? Yeah. Clearly, I mean, I mean, clearly clothing optional in the, in the locker room with those two. Well, obviously, yeah. You know, so what better place to, you know, maybe have a little... I think that the idea that the timeline has nothing to do with the actual timeline, the idea of, of seeing her because they showed us that flash in the gym after they showed us the meeting doesn't mean that happened after the meeting. And I think right. that that's like mm -hmm. an important part to start putting together. And you know what? This has been a pretty realistic show. They show you a really, you know, haggard looking guy at the prison. I appreciate that Elena is a beautiful woman, but that that body doesn't look like she had a baby two seconds ago. So I'm like, mm, I don't know that the show would be so ignorant to that. Right. You know what I mean? Right. HBO doesn't need to show a beautiful woman's naked body out of context if it doesn't suit the story. Does that make sense? You know, David, you don't need, I mean, she's, she's clearly beautiful, but she's beautiful in the peach gown with her clothes on. You don't need mm -hmm. that exploitation scene of an unrealistic post-pregnancy body just to have that there you know uh, elena had a confidence about her that i think probably exceeded what her body looked like at any given time and she's probably one of those women who probably did lose weight i mean she's oh no totally 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 and she obviously had miguel right so i mean this wasn't her first baby and i'm not saying that she was like a twig or something like that i'm just saying no no i agree with you i agree with that. I, I mean, at least yeah. want to Float the idea that the gym could have been happening before. And maybe Jonathan was even irrationally wanting to stop this relationship that was going on. Maybe she's having the affair and he is the one. Yeah, maybe it was, it was his jealousy. Maybe maybe he was invited into the uh, – he, he was Ross – to uh, Ross's uh, <laughs> marriage, uh, you know, yes. in order to keep him yes. sated and in calm. So who knows? I mean, I think all of the fact that we're talking about this with a sh with a straight face, I think I think the show has done a good job of dangling all of these as possibilities, which I love because I have no idea what the what the reality is. There, there's one last thing I want to ask you about, and I feel like something that we've been talking about since the series began. And it hit me tonight with the oil painting. Why it's bothered? Okay. Every week, Mendoza and O'Rourke pull her to the police station, they meet her in her lobby somewhere, and they drop a bomb of information on her. Grace never, ever, ever reacts 
with any kind of surprise, not even not even an eyebrow raise, not not with Mendoza and O'Rourke. She saves all of her wide eyes for her father or for Jonathan, it seems. Mm-hmm. Do you think that part of why Mendoza and O'Rourke are still going at her so hard, still thinking she is withholding, is her lack of surprise? Does her lack of surprise or any kind of emotion hurt her credibility with them? He never reacts right. the right way. And so, I mean, I think from episode one, we said... Well, she hears stories as a therapist that are very upsetting and maybe graphic and and horrible all the time. And she has to keep like a straight face, right? She can't be like, oh, in the middle of a therapy session. Mm -hmm. So she has to be hearing stuff all the time. So she must have some amount, even way more than a normal person, control over her responses because her whole livelihood depends on her not reacting when people say, freakish and or really horrible things so i think there's that part of the game right sure but that does nothing in when police officers are expecting a certain response and not getting it i don't think professional demeanor comes into their head insofar as whether or not you look guilty or not you know this this should be this should be new information to you and you're reacting as if either you don't care about this information or you already knew this information i feel like that's how grace always comes off People continue to ask her, though, like they'll say, like, put on your therapist hat and like, you know, what would you think of this? Haley does it to her because anytime she doesn't respond the way that they kind of want her to, there's certain people who do push her. So when she doesn't respond the way that the badger wants her to in answering, he will continue to push her and play with her and be like, yeah, but think about this syndrome. Okay, so given this, do you think like Mm, other people kind of therapize her, if you will? Mm -hmm. Then she starts to give responses, but when she is just on the receiving end of information, she stays stoic with everyone all the time for the most part. Even Franklin says that to Sylvia. You know how stoic she is. You know she doesn't ever respond. Even Sylvia says, I can't tell what she's thinking or what she wants. If the police know anything about her, they have to have picked up some amount of her just personality and or However much that plays into her profession or her profession plays into her, I don't know. It's kind of a known trait of hers, right? Am I wrong about that? Uh, no, I think I think that's right. But when we are looking to prove our case, right, anyone, when anyone is looking to prove their case, everyone, and I think police officers, it's funny, it's kind of how Haley, you know, describes how Jonathan was the easy pick so quickly. You go for the low-hanging fruit. And so if you are suspect of grace being involved or at least knowing more than she seems to be saying she knows and you continue to drop these if she's telling the truth and doesn't know these things these new these information bombs this realistic oil painting found in storage and you just kind of scoff and walk away if i'm looking to paint a case of you being guilty and or complicit well, I'm seeing that response as you being guilty and or complicit because you're not responding in the way anyone has. So, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's a known retreat. But, you know, it's an oil painting of you in this dead woman's storage. <laughs> the amount of cat and mouse, though, Mike, is just it's OK. So I'm just going to say this for a very realistic show. It It is starting to become like I mean, we're in episode four. It's very hard to understand why they continuously to just give these minuscule pieces of evidence. Like, and I understand, I said, give her enough rope to hang herself. I totally get that. 
But in the same way, like, it didn't make sense when Mendoza was like, so paternity, eh? And we're all like, there's no way a detective would just say that. They come to her lobby and show her a piece of evidence of their relationship. Why? What? There's something else. There's something like everyone knows she's crazy. <laughs> you know, like something. It keeps it. This is what kind of made me lean forward. Was um, every time Mendoza and O'Rourke have shown her some piece of information or asked her some question, they've known the answer already. Yes. Because they're just constantly testing her veracity. She's not doing well. I mean, if, you, if, if you're if you taking a human lie detector test, uh, Grace does not come off well, right? As you and I have talked about this before, I very rarely ask anyone a question I don't know the answer to or have a very good idea of what the answer is going to be. I don't like to be surprised. And so I like to ask, ask questions that I know the answer to. And the police officers are very much the same way because it's their way of testing how cooperative you're being, how truthful you're being, which says a whole lot about you. So if they know your favorite color is blue and you say it's pink, they're going to be like, well, fuck, now we have to keep an eye on this person. And I think constantly they're testing Grace. They're trying to give her a chance to come play ball or trip herself up one or the other. And she constantly does herself no favors, but they also don't have enough, I don't think, to actually pin anything on her. Okay, so that was going to be my question concerning the evidence. So if you say, okay, we have you in the area by this video. We have the deceased having called you bunches of times. But you never picked up the phone and we know that. We have this oil painting that seems very detailed of your face. Would this be enough to bring someone in? And like actually arrest you and actually more? Or are we still just like so circumstantial with all of this? This just isn't enough. I think without her DNA at the crime scene or fingerprints anywhere, it, it's all circumstantial. But I mean, at some point, you, circumstantial evidence, if you have enough of it, it, it definitely warrants you can bring her in and you can question her. You can probably even arrest her. Because she's even had that moment of like either Mirandize me or let me go. So you think that that would come up almost every time. Like you guys show up again and I'd be like, are you here to read me? my rights you're not bye right i mean they i mean they're not even taking her to the police station they're just stopping her wherever they find her now and having these conversations yes. with her. but i think it's because they're just on they're they're at the top of the teeter-totter and they're just at the line of having enough but they need some kind of smoking gun and unfortunately the circumstances being what what they are i think she's the only one who can provide them the actual smoking gun and i think that's why they keep having this dance with her you know, where it's it's almost like a Columbo episode. Like, one more thing. One more thing, Grace. You know, and then, it, you know, they're waiting for that one more thing to be like, uh, oh, yeah, we, we used to totally fuck in her studio. Like, you know, and then they're going to be like, ah! And then, and then she's going to be sitting in the women's correctional facility on Rikers, right, you know, across from uh, Jonathan. Yeah. So I think they're right at the cusp of circumstantial evidence that they can actually do something about it. Right now, it just looks bizarre. Right now, it just looks like some kind of painting or like a jigsaw puzzle, like a 500-piece puzzle, but you've only gotten like 300 of the pieces in. Yeah. So you really yeah. still can't tell what the fucking thing is, but you feel like you've actually <laughs> made a lot of progress, but not enough to go call, you know, say that you finished the thing. When I look back and I look at things like that watch party with Jonathan on the other side of the TV screen, and he looks into the camera and he's like, I feel like it's someone in that watch party room. <laughs> 
You know, it's like Henry, Franklin, mm -hmm. Grace, Sylvia. I don't think Sylvia's baby comes into play. But one of these people, the way that they they set up that watch party, because that watch party makes no sense. Franklin would watch in his fucking bedroom or not watch or whatever. Why would you have your son watching? I mean, Sylvia could do whatever she wants. I mean, has anyone looked at Sylvia's daughter's eyelashes? Do we know? Do, oh, do we know her, her what her paternity is? But. We don't know what her paternity is, my friend, because... It's always the husband that does it. <gasps> Whoa. There has been no dad. It, but it's always the husband. I mean, this is this is Sylvia's refrain. Wait, it's always... Are you saying that? Are you actually saying that? I mean, I, I thought it really quickly of the only reason <gasps> she would be there is Sylvia some, some, some aspect, of, like subconscious maternal instinct brought her, had her bring her daughter there. Because I couldn't think of why else... It's not like she was sitting next to Henry comforting Henry like, you know, like you would bring your child to like keep your other child because then you would send them to their room to keep each other occupied. You wouldn't bring a kid along as a as like a playmate and then have them both watch the highly inappropriate interview. Whoa. Like were we actually – is it possible that Grace and Sylvia both have kids by Jonathan? Well, I mean he said I, – I feel like he says to Haley and I'd have to watch it again. But he seems to indicate that the sad fuck, the one-off sad fuck was a long time ago. Or a decent mm. amount of time ago. Mm -hmm. Maybe 14 years enough time ago. Kid. 13, 14 oh, years ago. I never thought that kid. But that kid's gotten a lot of play. That kid's been on the screen for ballet class and, mm -hmm. and dinners at the office and the watch party. Like, Well, oh, I just oof. keep harping on Sylvia's line that we heard. It was, it, it was the weirdest thing to hear twice in a row in two separate episodes that it's always about the fucking husband that did it. You could see a world where... Sylvia has this world. She has this best friendship. She has this this powerful, successful attorney career. She lets, you know, Jonathan, you know, Jonathan slips one past the goalie and has to kind of live a life of adjacent, but never too, too close. But also never too, too far. Right. Always kind of keeping tabs. But uh, and but also would then be kind of bitter towards the husband always doing it in a way that doesn't make a lot of sense unless maybe you've experienced something like that before. I don't know. Man, I had just like watched and or uh, read this article about Shania Twain. Do you know that story? I don't. Okay, but no, hear me out on this. The best friend is like fully like trying to help Shania through this. Oh, he had an affair, blah, blah, blah. It was all fucking the best friend. Yeah. It was always the best friend. And yeah. the best friend like completely comes into play and they run off to into the sunset together. And Shania is standing there like like literally her entire world was shattered because he was her agent and like her manager and like everything else. And, and this was her best friend. Like these were the two people in her life. And they got married when she was like 14 or something. It's one of those stories. So it was like, oh, my God. It, man, I just read that story today. I mean. Now I'm really looking at Sylvia real, real hard. Well, that's a perfect. As, as we go to wrap up this episode uh, and we're getting ready to look at episode five and, and talk about episode five, who are people you're looking at? What are, what, what's a question? I just one this week. What's a question you are looking to get answered or shine some light on as we speed towards the finale of the show? I think that there is a fascinating relationship that I want better understood between Franklin, Sylvia, and Grace. Because when Franklin goes and is talking to Sylvia, it is clear to me that that is not just a friend that Grace picked up in the last couple of years. No. This is a friend that Franklin has known since they were like kids. Lifelong friend. Mm-hmm. And so to me, there is some um, more 
weirdness. Like Franklin, the way that they set up that watch party, how he's sitting in the chair in the middle and then the women and then the children with them like flank him. There's a whole thing here that is like got me curious. Now, we may only just just really scratch the surface of that when it comes to this murder. It may not actually be the thing. But I really feel like I want to know more about the cocksucker that is Franklin and the world he has put together. Because he badly wants Grace and Henry living in that house. Right. And he has got a whole world that he, his mind is stronger than maybe all their hearts. I don't know. I think his mind is stronger than all of their hearts and minds combined. I think he is playing like 3D chess while they're all playing checkers. Let's talk about Franklin real quick before we go, because there were two things that were interesting in this episode. One, and you just hit upon this, Franklin kind of benevolently agrees to put up the $2 million bail for Jonathan to get out. But what goes unspoken, and if Grace thought about it for a second, she'd realize was true, that's the best possible scenario for Franklin. Because Grace and Henry can't, for optics, for legal reasons, cannot go back to the apartment and live with Jonathan while he's out on bail living in the apartment, they have to stay with him. Did that strike you? Or am I the only one, again, just being a cynical, cynical sinner? It answered that question about that unconditional love and support. Franklin was never offering up unconditional love and support. No. He was going to offer up the bail on the contingency that she and Henry stay put. Right. He's, she's not allowed to go back and live with him. He doesn't even have to flex that hard to do that because clearly she can't go back and live there while Jonathan's living there. It really is the best case scenario for Franklin. He looks like a good guy posting the bail for the son and law who was never good enough for his daughter while getting his heart's desire he gets to continue to have reign and control over henry and and uh, grace and and all their activities i mean how weird that he goes wandering into henry's room while he's practicing the violin again not for a conversation he just kind of goes in there and sits for a little bit they chit chat and then leaves it's not like he went to go listen to the violin practice or anything just fucking weird like franklin just wants them under his thumb the other big thing and this is part of grace sees the men she as she wants to see them and not how they really are what was your what your feeling and your take on his truth bomb that he used to cheat on grace's mom a lot like over and over and over again and she tries to even deny it she almost calls him like a liar as if he wouldn't know you know those situations where people say would you admit to something to someone else in order to alleviate the burden off of yourself or because you think that they deserve the truth there's that whole game of like, what did Franklin have to gain, really, if you're just thinking, oh, he's just being honest here, that he needs to throw this on top of everything. Like, mm -hmm. her whole life is shattered. BT dubs, now's the right time to tell you that your entire childhood was fake. What the fuck mind games, Mike? Whether or not he should have ever been honest with her, I don't know. This felt like the same moment as like the, uh, it's your move, dad. And he's like, oh, um, he borrowed $500,000 from me. Yeah. And didn't tell you. This felt like, oh, um, I think things are actually going to go okay. Maybe this could work. And he's like, mm, BT dubs, you're basing your marriage off of a fake marriage. Let me just crush that for you. Like, he's brutal. just still doing the moves. So brutal, so cruel, unbelievable. Cocksucker, if you will. So two things <laughs> to that. I mean, there's a, there's, a, there's a saying, right, that women always marry their fathers and sons marry their mothers. That, that, that we're drawn to people with those qualities. And, and, and not, that's not across the board thing, but I think we, people actually do do that a lot. I think if you look at a lot of relationships, that's actually happens a lot. There's similar qualities, right? Because it's what we know. It's, it's, it's what we're familiar with. So it's kind of what we go out and seek in the world. And so 
it struck me in that moment because you're right. Why would Franklin expose himself, make himself vulnerable in this way, show this chink in his armor that Grace clearly isn't even aware of to the point that she's like, no, no, no. I mean, he says, I was unfaithful to her again and again and again and again. When he says it like that, Mike, oh my God. Yeah, he says, I like think he pounding. says at least three again. He does. It was terrible. And it really just driving home the point. And, of, and his point, of course, is that I was unable to change. I know that I don't like Jonathan because I see in Jonathan myself and I know Jonathan will not be able to change. So, so Franklin is so committed to driving the wedge between Jonathan and grace that he's willing to expose this failing of himself, this incurable infidelity in himself as a cautionary tale to try and wake up grace to what the truth is. You cannot go back to him. He is me. I am him. And in the same way, Jonathan will admit to X and Y as to get himself off, seem sincere that he didn't do Z. Franklin is admitting to X as to prove his point Y, why grace cannot be with Jonathan. Because your mother was never happy. I never made your mother happy. She never wore all of the jewelry guilt presents that I bought her. It was a life of convenience. Fucking brutal. Brutal. Do you think but... that this mom's going to end up like having committed suicide? Oh, man. I don't know. I'm throwing that out there. That didn't even, that didn't even occur to me. But I think it was telling that Jonathan and Franklin, as it turns out, probably very similar people the way they mm -hmm. use their charm and their personality their strong will to manipulate people kind of at will with very little little effort they're very similar in that respect and i think that's what that scene was meant to demonstrate i, I thought it was meant to demonstrate and, or at least this is how i took it as like a daughter as just how cruel and ruthless and reckless that franklin is with grace's psyche and her heart, that he is willing to say anything and do anything to get what he wants. I'm saying that as a viewer, it demonstrated to me that Franklin and Jonathan are very similar people, that they're willing to use whatever weapons they have at their disposal to achieve their goals. Mm -hmm. That Jonathan is willing to go to Fernando's house and just be this fucking weird Gruber stalker guy in order to achieve his goals with no, I mean, anyone with any kind of moral fiber in their body doesn't do that move. Any kind of decent human father doesn't blow up Grace's life and childhood the way he does in that scene. When Haley points out that that was actually, um, you know, like against his bail rules, that was even a whole other level for me. Like, I didn't even realize that. It's obvious. Like, it's like just good manners. You don't go bother the man right. whose wife you're accused well, it's of. Witness tampering. But I didn't yeah. even know that he was doing something illegal. And Jonathan knows it. He he says that he decided it was the right thing to do, but never says, I didn't realize it was something I couldn't do. He knows it was. He's so convinced of his power. Jonathan one day will have an office in the Frick Art Collection gallery where he will also take meetings like his father-in-law, I believe. Jonathan is so convinced that Fernando not only won't go to the police and say what this psycho did to me, or came to my house, he's so convinced that there will be no blowback on that. But I think he really truly believes that he will bring Fernando around to his side. Agree. The last thing I want to say is how chilling was it, especially in light of how we're talking about grace and, and for not seeing things the way they are, but seeing them the way she wants them to be. Franklin says at the end of that brutal assault, he says, you've always chased ghosts, Grace. We all know it. 
Yes. I thought that was fucking just just one more like, oh, yeah, you're already down. <sighs> Kick you in the ribs a little bit more. Yeah. Like we all know that you don't have any mental fortitude. We all know. We all know you live in your own like la la land. But also maybe just another aspect of everyone kind of staring at her like, yeah, you know this stuff. You just don't want to admit or remember that you know this stuff. Maybe that's just Franklin and his eyebrows way of, of expressing that. I think it's amazing. There's so many little like nuggets here. I mean, we had that frightening moment in this episode of her passing out in the park. I didn't know where the hell that was going. I didn't know what we were doing. Her staring at the kids, the redheaded girl looking right oh, at her. Oh then God. she spins out. Holy crap. She walked I mean, all fucking night after her sex stream. Like she woke up and she yes. continued to walk and never went home. Like it, like dawn broke. Dawn broke to the point where kids are playing in the park and she's yes. still walking was that really just panic was it really just exhaustion that she passed out or or is this some laying the grounds for some kind of terminal thing that she doesn't realize she has wrong with her oh shit what are you you're saying like brain tumor or something uh, i mean pressing on like the common sense part of her brain <laughs> i i've been i've been out before when the sun has come up and i haven't gone home and i've never passed out D definitely ditto i've i've gone i think three days is my is my max i've never of not sleeping a wink and i didn't pass out i just finally was like i should probably take something to make me sleep at this point for sure. I mean, especially in my early days of being a lawyer. I mean, there were times where I was giving advice like at like hour 36 of being awake, which probably not great advice. But I mean, yeah, and I didn't pass out um, and no little redheaded children triggered me. So peeped on you. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like and yeah, and no one fucking call the police. They all gather around her like it was that was a whole very bizarre staging the oh, way like it the, so was my gut says that's some kind of weird like indication of something serious going on inside of grace which would help tie all of this together if she just had like like i mean i don't want to say a brain tumor because that's like it sounds so scary and morbid but like if there was an actual physical reason although they say it wasn't anything i mean we saw the hospital aftermath they said oh, doctors don't anything. know anything <laughs> well can we have one second when i say Jonathan carries a pen light. He carries a fucking pen light in his pocket? <laughs> Thank you. What kind of like bullshit is this? An unemployed oncologist is carrying around a pen light in his pocket? The He's fuck? gotta also be, I mean, would his license not be in suspension and shit as well? Like, I mean, wouldn't there be like a lot of other things? Well, if it Maybe was, not permanently suspended, but like... If it was a private settlement, probably not. It was probably a condition... No, 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 but he's accused of murder. There, there's no like... Oh, you're, sure. Like, in trouble with your medical board license right now? For sure. But I mean, there were no doctors in the room. It wasn't like there was like, you know, Dr. Henry know, was in the room. They weren't like, and you have, you still have your assigned pen light? <laughs> yeah, they didn't confiscate your pen light at the arrangement. <laughs> yeah, fucking weird. Imagine what kind of weird sex things uh, Jonathan did with that pen light. That's the only reason oh. he could be carrying it around in his pocket. Good lord, that's crazy. Yeah, the oncologist used to play gynecologist. Shut up. <laughs> This episode brought so many answers, but so many more questions again, Mike. I feel like I don't even, my eyes were not even looking at Sylvia in the same way as they are now. And I don't even know about the Sylvia's daughter talk. We're like crazy, but I cannot wait for episode five. And then God, finally, episode six. 
there is no chance there's a season two, is there? Like, we are definitely wrapping up in se- in episode six. I mean, I felt like Big Little Lies didn't have a season two in it, but there you go. But the storyline ends at the end of episode one. They just continued, like, by bringing in some other characters and stuff and continued the story. But, like, I want this murder. The murder is going to be solved, right? Yes. Okay, please. This story <laughs> will come to a conclusion. We will have an answer whether we like it or not on this death of Elena Alves this season I am 99% sure okay I'm happy for a season two and like a new mystery but I but I really got to know what happened to Elena by six I really want to know maybe season two is the story of Sylvia and Franklin oh shit wait well dude Franklin had many affairs maybe Sylvia's Franklin's uh, yeah. When you were talking about it before and the way he was like sitting between them, I was like, oh, yes. shit. I had just blown your mind, though, about Jonathan being the, the father of her daughter. I did not want to blow your <laughs> mind again with that. I, oh, right. I, I'm not Grace. What, do I, what am I supposed to say? Just how weak do you think I am? That's <laughs> weak in what way, Grace? Caroline, can I leave you with one bit of advice before we say goodbye? Advice? Okay, yeah. sure. Don't bite anyone else. <laughs> That's good advice, Haley. That's very good advice. It, it made me laugh out loud. She's like just deadpan. <laughs> uh, you have no idea, though. As like a pre-K teacher, I'm like, look, don't bite anyone else. <laughs> like, I might have yeah. said that before. <laughs> yeah. Don't bite anyone else. Just, just, hey, dude, just keep your teeth in your mouth. Okay? I love that we got two. I love that we got two instances of Haley having to say, I don't make jokes. I'm not a funny person. And it was so funny. She gave a look. Grace says it. And she says, I'm not. I don't make jokes. I'm not a funny person. Then literally her next interaction with Jonathan, he asks her if she's making a joke. And she does like this head nod thing. Like, did, did you and Grace work that out? It was it was such a <laughs> funny reaction that she had to have the same conversation with this couple twice in like a morning. It was pretty funny. Oh, my God. Loving me some Haley Fitzgerald. So Me too. She She's fantastic. I, I don't know that if I passed someone... that test. I don't know. I don't know if I oh, passed that Oh, see? So I'm thinking. I'm thinking you're kissing that woman. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking you're grabbing the back of her head and you're giving her like a hard smooch. I'm going to show her my sculpting hammer. <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh, this is Caroline. And this is Mike. Thank you for listening to Do We Unnerve You? The Undoing Podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Do We Unnerve You on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. It's available everywhere. Thank you so much for listening. Do We Unnerve You? The Undoing Podcast is a Pod Clubhouse original production, recorded, produced, and edited at Pod Clubhouse Studios. For more information on Pod Clubhouse, please visit us online at podclubhouse.com or on social media at Pod Clubhouse.